You're listening to the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 20, Aladdin. Take off your clothes? Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, a podcast for animation addicts, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Morgan Stradling. And I'm here with two of my co-hosts, Chelsea Robson. Yay! And Mason Smith. Hey, howdy! <laughs> How is everybody this week? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited for this episode! I know! Me too! It's been such a long time since we did an actual episode episode with Nerdy Couch discussion, with a review, with a main discussion. Um, last one was Miyazaki. We've just had lots of interviews and other things, so I'm glad to get back to our you know, core thing that we're great at. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad too. I mean, I was getting so tired of interviewing all these amazing people in the animation world. I just wanted to bring it back to me, you know. I mean, it's like en- enough is enough. Please, no more flash photography. Uh, awesome. Okay, so let's just go straight into the news. So our first bit of news is, guys, you remember Despicable Me? I do remember that. So um, that was a big hit by Illumination Entertainment in 2010. So big that they decided they're making a sequel, Despicable Me 2. And uh, who'd thought they are now making a third Despicable Me, but this is a, not a third Despicable Me movie, but it's a spinoff series. It's based on the Minions. Could they get any more Despicable? Oh, I completely agree with that. I'm okay with them making a sequel, maybe, but oh, this I don't even know. I don't even know. Well, it's it, for me. It's just like they're doing the Penguins of Madagascar. Like, wh- why are they getting their own movie? Is that you know? Except that these minions are getting their own film now. Like, it's not like they're jumping. They're not going from the cartoon series to. The film, they're going straight to the film. So they have a lot of confidence. But They do yeah, have a lot of confidence. I'm not buying it. Well, they were able to steal the Statue of Liberty from Vegas. <laughs> from Vegas? Was that I'm... what it was? No, it wasn't the Statue of Liberty. It was the Eiffel Tower from Vegas. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. From Vegas. Ah, okay, from Vegas. There we go. Good point. Um, wow. So my just question is, like, is this going to be a watchable movie? Because they don't talk. They, they don't do anything. They just kind of make these annoying sounds. And so that's just kind of, ah, I I don't even know. I, I can't even stand that little commercial that they have where the ones blowing (laughs) the little annoying, like party horn. Oh man. Now uh, they have their own language. Maybe they'll have captions on the whole thing. Ah, it'll be like watching a foreign film. <laughs> ah, if you're not sophisticated enough to watch it, Morgan, then don't watch it. Okay, I submit defeat. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so, oh. I don't know. I mean, they. I guess they are pretty popular by some people. They have their own uh, theme park ride in Florida. They do. So, um, that's, apparently there's some market for these guys. I just, I don't see it for me, I guess. Maybe I'm too old. Hmm. There's a lot of things that maybe we're too old for, but we're going to ignore that fact and keep moving. The next story is that Partiosaurus Rex just got released. No, no it, it will be released in front of Finding Nemo 2. No, fi- no, 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 no. Finding Nemo 3D. Oh. 3D. Yeah, but they released the preview for it, right? Like the first couple of clips? Uh, yeah, there was a few clips and then two screenshots or whatever. 
Yeah, there was a hiccup with that, right? They like took it away real quick and then they re-released it. Yeah, for the YouTube clip, Pixar released it and then suddenly like all the the Pixar animators were tweeting about it like, "Hey, check out this short. We're really excited." And then Pixar took it down from YouTube and everyone was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> no. <laughs> so, eventually got put back up. Yeah, totally. So, what were you guys' thoughts on this? Well, I've been able to see a few of the new uh little shorts and you know, at first I was kind of a, I was I didn't know what to think of them like before I had seen any of them. Uh, oh, yeah, I was we like, watched well, them why are they doing these little short things? But I liked them. So I'm excited to see this one as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice way that they can expand the Toy Story universe, which we love and we've grown to love and which we've grown up to love so much um, without doing overboard, you know, more films or whatever. I, I think they're OK. They're fun. I loved Hawaiian Vacation because I'm such a Ken fan. Uh, the second one, Small Fry, was interesting. It was cute, but... What? I love Small Fry. Really? More than the Hawaiian Vacation? I didn't see Hawaiian Vacation. Oh. I'm not a Ken fan. Oh. Hmm. You're you're a Barbie and Ken fan, Morgan. Don't just say Ken. I know. I love Barbie and Ken, but I think Ken was the breakout star of Toy Story 3. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he really came out, if you know what oh, I mean. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> no, I mean, like, but what do you guys think about this one? I'm I think ex- it's gonna be cool. Yeah, it looks fun, lighthearted, so, and it'll it'll definitely be enjoyable in front of the movie. So yeah, so the premise of Party Source Rex is that I guess Rex has joined the bathtub toys, and so he's gonna be part of Bonnie's bath time, and so they kind of turn it into this like psychedelic disco with bubbles, and there's colors going on, and it seems really pretty awesome from what I can see. So I'm pretty excited for it. So it should be fun. Yeah, I like how like everything is just fun and awesome at a at Bonnie's house. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like in Toy Story Three, Woody was like stressing out. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, we just improvise. We have a lot of fun here. We're pretty relaxed. They're obviously yeah. like living the high life as as toys. That's what happens. They're with, Bo- they're with Bonnie, who's not due for any life changing, possibly toy destroying events for like years. You know. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's what happens when your owner's like five. It's mm-hmm. just all fantasy, funny games. Mm. Yeah, but she's not like you know, caterpillar room young where she like slobbers and destroys her toys. I just fear what happens when she turns into nail polish, loving telephone, talking Bonnie, because oh, uh, no. we saw how that worked out for Jesse. And it was actually made me cry when I was oh, in my the gosh. theater. The first time. Don't, sing the song. Don't sing the song. <laughs> it won't. It's, horrid. <laughs> it's an amazing song, but it's like, you know, it hurts too much. Awesome. Chris Horn really uh, sold me on to the whole finding Nemo 3d thing. And it got me really excited about it, so I'm definitely going to see it. So looking forward to seeing this new tune. Yeah, and speaking of Finding Nemo, our third and last news story, this has kind of been a, in the rumor mill for a long time. Uh, people, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it became a big deal and went crazy on Twitter, and then people took it out of context. Anyways, it's kind of been officially announced that Finding Nemo is getting a sequel. So <laughs> There's not going to be, I mean, oh, we don't just... know much about it other than Andrew Stanton, the original director of Finding Nemo, will be directing. We don't know if it's a sequel or a prequel. Uh, we just know that it, it will exist. So is it Finding Nemo again? <laughs> That's the thing. Like, or... how many times What? How many times can this kid get lost? Are we finding Marlin? <laughs> yeah. Are we finding Squirt? Are we... Maybe he's finding, <laughs> the finding inner... Squirt. <laughs> he's finding the inner Nemo. Oh, no. <laughs> the coming of age of Nemo. Uh-oh. It's the he's finding his confidence. <laughs> well, maybe it's like finding Marlin, and like Marlin has, has gotten so old that he gets lost at the fish supermarket, you know? <laughs> Him with Alzheimer's. 
Meh. But yeah, um, I'm glad that the original director is going to be in this. And so, yeah, I, I can confidently say this is probably going to be an awesome movie. It better be, you know. Yeah. I didn't like Cars 2. Oh, no. The movie <laughs> about, shall not be named. What I mean, th- you could do so much more with Pixar sequels, right? Yes. Incre- incredible. I think Incredible Anyone? should be... Incredible should be made before Finding Nemo. Still no. Incredibles 2 should have been made before Monsters Incorporated. Right. <laughs> that doesn't even right. make sense. Oh. <laughs> even before The Incredibles was made, there should have been yeah, a sequel. Yeah, there should have been Incredibles <laughs> 2. Oh, oh, boy. Let me just lodge my foot out of my mouth real quick. So I have a uh, mini nerdy couch discussion question to pose to you all. Are you ready? All right. So originally... Pixar, you know, they touted that we are makers of original stories and that we'll never do a sequel unless we have a good story. And, like, they mostly stayed true to that, you know, for the first 10 years. The only exception was Toy Story 2. And so they were true to doing original stories until they were bought out by Disney in 2006. Since then, we've seen quite a bit more sequels released or in development. That is uh, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, now Monsters University, and now now we know Finding Nemo 2. So, I mean, like, how do you feel about this? Because the thing about Pixar is that they kind of, they were kind of this creative entity that was apart from, you know, the corporate world that had these, they just wanted to make money and they, they just wanted what was ever successful. And now I'm kind of, I'm not going to say it, but a little disappointed in Pixar. I feel there's lots of pressure from Disney to get this going. It's Finding Nemo so popular, you need to do another one. It's going to make a billion dollars in the box office. Yada, yada, yada. So, I don't know. What do you feel? I feel like it seems like something that new companies do. As somebody that doesn't have a lot of capital, doesn't have a lot of things going for them. They're just trying to get upstart and get going. If they have one one good thing, like, for example, Illumination Entertainment, they had Despicable Me. Okay, let's build on that. Let's do another thing really fast and make more money so that we can make other things. I can understand that. But I don't think that's Pixar's problem. I Pixar has lots of stuff going for them. Yeah. <laughs> so why are they, I don't understand why they're making that many sequels. I would rather see more uh, original things. I mean, like we were kind of arguing, does Finding Nemo even need a sequel? Do we need more of this story? I don't. <laughs> I was pretty, I was pretty fine with the fact that they found him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. So anyways, that's our news for now. If you have an opinion on Finding Nemo 2 or the Minion sequel or even Party Source Rex, uh, just send us an email and we will read it on our next episode. Again, our email is therotoscopers at gmail.com. Guess what, guys? It's time for another Nerdy Couch discussion. Nerdy Couch discussion. Woo, yeah. I, I feel like these. we need like right, a theme song, Chelsea. Let's the couch. Jump <laughs> in, buddy. I get the recliner this time. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, today I'm posing the question, do celebrity voices really draw that much when it comes to an animated feature? This is where this all came from. If you go back to the Wreck-It Ralph test screening episode, I start mentioning a little bit about how it was really interesting how after we watched the test screening, they had us be a part of this like 20 people like focus group where they we were all like the fans of animation and they were trying to get information for us on how they could basically uh, move forward with, I guess, marketing and getting our ideas and what we thought of the film. And one of the questions that they asked was they started asking about the voices. 
like one question was like, were they real? Were they annoying? Did it make a difference knowing who was playing the character? And, you know, they started going off and some of the people, they're like, oh, yeah, it made no difference to me. The fact that this person was playing this person or that this person was playing this person. But for some reason, uh, John C. Riley was actually it stuck with people and they're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. I love John C. Riley. That was awesome. That You know, and I'll be honest, I didn't really know who the bulk of John C. Riley's work. Um, I knew his face. He's got a great face and the character actor. But as far as like somebody to go see, it really didn't like strike me as being all that much of a draw. But what was even more interesting is that very first commercial that they did, they actually had John C. Riley open it up and say, hey, guys, this is my next film. At first, I was just like, I knew they would do something like that. But it was just interesting because that has never been my the reason why I ever went to an animated film. In fact, you know, I remember growing up and never knowing who any of these people were that were playing the voices on these films. Did you guys ever like take notice of that? Not when I was younger, but I think when we were younger, there wasn't as big of a focus on who did the voices. It was, I mean, there was maybe one or two main celebrities, but those weren't listed anywhere on the movie posters. They weren't promoted like Matthew Broderick, voice of Simba. It was just, that was something he did. He was playing the character and getting caught up in the character. We weren't getting caught up in him. You know, like, I feel like in the nineties, that wasn't as big of a deal as it is now where it's very front foremost. Beyonce is in Epic. Anne Hathaway is in Rio. You know, all the, you know, all these people, it's kind of like a big deal now. And I think that's just kind of the way animation marketing has shifted. I don't know. I know what you guys, I know what you guys mean. Um, I think John C. Reilly is, is a good choice for Wreck-It Ralph, but um, it's like a seasoning, you know, your voice acting. Like, I don't know how to articulate this, but I think that a celebrity voice actor should enhance, you know, what should already be a good quality, wholesome animated film. Yes. But it should not be the reason why you go to a film. Like, I understand if people are like, well, I'm a Christian Bale fan. So, um, yes, I'm going to see, you know, all the stuff that he did with Chris Nolan and I'm going to see a bunch of Christian Bale movies. But with animation, it's different because the big blue guy in Aladdin is not Robin Williams. It is the genie played by Robin Williams. But it's really hard when you get such high-profile actors, it's hard to distinguish. It's hard to draw the line between this is a character or this is an actor being featured in an animated film. And when those high-profile actors step into the bounds of you know of animation and it's them and not the character, then I have a problem with that. That is my soapbox moment. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, even growing up, I even remember hearing interviews of different cartoon voice actors that they're just like they would never do their voices outside of the recording room because it, quote unquote, ruins the illusion. I mean, I there are some actors, obviously, who, you know, for example, the Nancy voice. Cartwright, who is the voice of Bart. Like she always does his voice and it's hilarious and it's great, but she has that personality that can, that just likes to do it. You know, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Morgan, you remember when we were at D23 Destination D, they had that panel of all the voice actors. Yes, I do. You were, you were telling me some stuff. What were you telling me before? Okay, so at Destination D, it was kind of cool because they would talk about how Walt Disney was very integral in getting these voice actors. And he agreed with Chelsea and Mason and I, uh, that we, don't necessarily, he didn't want 
the people to be distracted by the celebrity voice and and think take away from the character think oh this is this is Frank Sinatra versus this is the character I want him to be. And so what he would do is he would, you know, have the voice actors come in and kind of the selection processes. He just sit there and he'd close his eyes and he'd imagine that person as the character. Right. Yeah. And I really thought that was cool because it was apparently he even like passed on some really big names for certain characters, but he wasn't looking for the name. He was looking for the character. So that was one thing that I really liked and something I think that's kind of gotten out of hand in the last decade or so. Yeah. Well, actually, one interesting thing, one of the big shifts that changed voice acting in animated films as we know it, you know, it was a voice acting profession. You know, you are a voice actor, you do TV shows, you do movies, you do, uh, you know, miscellaneous characters or whatnot. But I think the main point here to look at that really shifted it for, you know, the rest of the films here on out is Aladdin, which happens to be the movie that we are discussing today, but specifically the genie, which was voiced by Robin Williams. And, you know, initially they designed the character of the genie with him in mind, and they really went and recruited him to get him on board with this. You know, they, at Destination D, we saw that they, they even took some of his stand-up routines and they had one of the animators animate uh, a character transforming into his impersonations and different things. And it really sold Robin Williams. And so here on out, you know, Robin Williams became the focus of this film. He, you know, it became oh, Robin Williams is the voice of the genie. And this was actually probably the first time that a major actor provided voiceover work for an animated film, uh, at least in America. So, um, you know, for, and of course, the film was a huge success. Aladdin made, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And the genie was a big part of it. He was such a, a dynamic character. He was funny. And so it kind of created this uh, allure that these other studios and Disney, they kept building on the success. Okay, you know, so now let's get Matthew Broderick for Simba. Now let's get Mel Gibson for John Smith. And it just kind of went from just getting one or two actors to the whole cast is now somebody you know from television or TV. And that kind of, it bothers me a little bit because I don't, I, I want people who it's their craft to be a voice actor where they study voice acting and they do the best performance. Not I'm an actor actress who just happened to do this voice acting gig. I agree. Yeah. Have there ever been any like voice characters that you were surprised when you found out who they were like uh, that they did so well? Like for me, Matthew Broderick, this was one of them that when he was Simba, he did so well in that role that I had no idea it was him for years up until like, you know, about five years ago, maybe, I don't know. I watched it and I saw his name on the credits. And that was the time when I realized it was Matthew Roderick. I was like, what? I didn't know this the entire time. I was blown away. But at the same time, now I can't watch it thinking that it's anyone but Matthew Roderick. But before it was always just Simba. It wasn't anybody else. It was Simba. So for me, were there anybody else for you guys? Um, no, I mean, not that I later discovered who they were. Uh, maybe uh, the guy who did the voice of Dimitri and, and Anastasia. Actually, I didn't even know that Meg Ryan for a long time was Anastasia. I One, because I don't think I was really familiar with her at the time. I wasn't really into romantic comedies when I was 10. I don't know. But um, so when I discovered that she was, it really was surprising to me. And, you know, now, of course, I hear Meg Ryan's voice all over Anastasia. So I don't know. So that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of anyone else. Yeah, with me, um, 
I was pretty surprised that Bill Nighy, the guy who does, uh, he's in a couple films. He's like in King's Speech. He was in, uh, he was Davy Jones in all the Pirates movies. That he voiced uh, Rattlesnake Jake and Rango. Mm. And um, who's the guy who plays Frazier? Not Brendan Frazier, but <laughs> the guy who plays Frazier, you know, Toss Salads and Scrambled Eggs. What's his, what's his name? Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> when Kelsey Grammer did uh, Stinky Pete and he also did um, Vladimir. You know, Demi- Vladimir in Anastasia, I was pretty surprised at that, but that's probably because I'm just not familiar with, with Kelsey Grammer that much. But I mean, other than that, like you can kind of pick them out, like with the uh, epic coming out, like you know the kid from uh, from Parks and Rec, Asis Asnari or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. He's one of the snail dudes. Like I totally picked up on that, but I really like him, so I'm kind of guilty. I kind of want to see that movie a little bit because he's in it. But <laughs> so I don't know. It's this big, huge thing. Like it's this big, huge thing that we that we all of a sudden are going to move animated films because they're featuring people that we like. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, do you remember it, that, like, um, Monsters versus Aliens? Yes. Ugh, I try I not to. I could, I, <laughs> dude, I, could, I couldn't even watch the movie. I'll be honest. I never went to see it, but I was tempted just because it had Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, I was tempted. But then I think about it. I'm like, really? I, I'm not. I like Reese Witherspoon live action. I don't really go to her movies because I like her voice. I go because I like watching her. So it was, I, I think that may be one of the reasons why I didn't go see it, but it was. <laughs> now I'm tempted, Chelsea. I want to, I want to see this movie and see how she is in it. I know, right? And I'll no, be honest. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And me being a singer, it's also interesting. Like when Taylor Swift was the voice on the Lorax, uh, that also had a little bit of a, a pull for me, though. I have yet to see that one either. So, dang it. <laughs> well, so what I think is kind of interesting is that, so, you know, Robin Williams kind of started this, you know, basically, and there were, like, lesser-name actors who were the roles, in the roles. For example, you know, an Aladdin, Scott Widener, he was the voice of Aladdin, but it wasn't really, like, publicized too much that he was the voice of Aladdin. He just, he was. And then, you know, it's interesting, you look at the princesses, and they're not these huge A-list celebrities. Pocahontas wasn't, Mulan really wasn't. I mean, they were just kind of either Broadway actor actresses. I mean, but now I can't imagine Disney doing another princess movie without a big-name star attached to the lead. Kind of like they used to get away with. Like, I can't even tell you who did the voice of Jasmine. Yeah, but... not after Enchanted, they're not. Yeah. What? You know, I... well, Enchanted, they had the princess was a high-profile actress. You know? Yeah. Totally. And in Princess and the Frog and um, Tangled. All, it's Mandy Moore. It's Maybe it has to do with the singing voice. I don't know, but I just, yeah, it may be. But I just can't imagine them just like picking a girl off the street and saying, hey, you're our next big thing. But maybe. Yeah. It's just kind of interesting the way things have changed. It is. All right. Are we going to wrap it up in last thoughts, I guess? Uh, last thoughts. Pitbull should never do voiceover work. <laughs> you were really adamant about this. It was like saying. five episodes you've said this. <laughs> Just saying. Well, I'm probably going to love him in, in Epic. <laughs> I want you to love him in, in Epic. Um, anyone who shouldn't do voiceover work? That's a good question. Um, oh gosh, I don't. Uh, maybe Gilbert Gottfried shouldn't do anything anymore. <laughs> Although he worked so well in as Iago, which we'll talk. You know about. who shouldn't do voiceover work is that that kid who does has a talk show. He's on SNL. He, um, not Andy Samberg, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> 
I don't think he should ever do voiceover work. Oh man, who is the guy in um uh, in Elf? Will Ferrell. Yes, Will he was the man. He was the man in the yellow hat in the Curious George movie. I know, but I do not like Will Ferrell. <laughs> I'm sorry. You didn't, you didn't think he was great for Megamind? I didn't. I haven't seen Megamind, Megamind yet. Really I came good. out when I was in I Brazil. Go see it. Okay, I just I've I have a hard time with Will Ferrell. So anything with him and it kind of draws me away. Wasn't Andy Samberg the hero in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Uh, I don't know. I never saw that one. Although I need to. I heard it's really good. Yeah, that one is good. I like. Was that him? I don't know. Yeah. So my last opinion on this is that you know, like I said, these voice actors they need to be the character and not themselves. And I guess it's hard when you get people with such distinguished like styles and and, and voices. But um, yeah, I don't like where it's going with this whole like, oh, we're featuring this person as this character, you know. Yes, I agree. It should be the other way around. It should be like, uh, this is the actor portraying this character. The character is more important. <laughs> I'll take an agreement with that. Well, thank you for this discussion, people. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be back on the couch. Love the couch. <laughs> All right, folks. Now, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. You know, we don't do a whole lot of Disney animated classics, but here we are with our uh, our third, right, in this in this podcast series. Mm-hmm. I guess let's get down to it. Disney's Aladdin. This holiday season, the Walt Disney Studios proudly presents our 31st all-new full-length animated motion picture, Aladdin. It's the most exciting magic carpet ride ever. A musical journey of mystery and wonder. It's all so magical. With Aladdin, his magic lamp, and some wonderful new friends. Wow. Princess Jasmine, Abu the monkey, Iago the parrot, Jafar the treacherous villain. Bring me the lamp. And a very powerful, very special... Genie of the Lamp! Direct from the lamp. Don't miss Disney's all-new musical entertainment event with six new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer of The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Walt Disney Pictures presents Aladdin. Aladdin was first released the 25th of November, 1992, the same year that Wayne's World came out. That's kind of weird. Really? I thought Wayne's World was way earlier. Wayne's World was 1992. Aladdin was 1992. You know what? I was was four years old when this movie came out. Seriously? Serial. Yeah, I was born in 88. Yeah, that's right. I was six. Yeah. Yeah, we were six. Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) You know, this is one of the very first movies that I remember seeing in theaters. Yeah, I, I remember seeing this at the Dollar Theater. My dad would take us every Saturday, uh, every other Saturday, maybe we'd go see a movie at the Dollar Theater on Saturday afternoon. And I remember this, like, crummy old Dollar Theater, like the furthest back, you know, theater, uh, walking into it and looking up top and seeing the words Aladdin and just being so excited. So <laughs> it started my love affair with awesome. this movie because I have since seen it 500 plus times. And I'm not ashamed to yeah. admit that. Don't be. Own it. You should, yeah, you shouldn't be. <laughs> no, I'm not. not. I think we've mentioned this before, but I used to fall asleep to this movie every night. It's just that good to me. Do you still like find an, an urge to fall asleep as you watch it now? 
You just watch it so many no, times falling asleep. No, not necessarily this movie, but I've just kind of, um, I've gotten my body accustomed to falling asleep to any movie. So I can't even go to like a regular theater without falling asleep just because my body's <laughs> so used to, okay, when you put a movie on and you lay down, it's to get you to fall asleep. So I will now fall asleep. It's not good. It's See, not good. See, I don't agree with that whole philosophy of watching a movie to fall asleep. It's, no, it's bad. It's really bad for you. You don't crank up your Xbox and start playing Call of Duty to fall asleep. <laughs> well, that's a to bit more engaging. <laughs> I mean, it's different because, you know, you're participating more in a video game. But I, I guess I participate way too much in a film to fall asleep during it. But anyway, so yeah, Aladdin. We're not talking about any old Disney animated film here. This is like one of the biggest, most beloved, most popular animated classics out there that Disney has made. We're talking about a budget of $28 million estimated. Worldwide, it grossed over five hundred. Million worldwide. Wow, that's just, a lot. Um, that's a lot of money, especially for twenty yeah. years ago. Yeah, right. this is and when that, it meant something. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was uh, became the fourteenth and fourteenth film in the first animated film to gross more than two hundred million dollars. That's nuts. Totally. <sighs> wow, <laughs> they did well. You know, they actually won the Oscar for best original song and also best original score. Dang straight, they did. Good, they deserve it. But do you know what? They actually lost out on one on one Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay uh, because Robin Williams ad libbed so many of his lines, so the script was turned down for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sad. sad. (laughs) Well, they should just pen him as a screenwriter as well, and then you're set. Exactly. There you go. I'm just that good at screenwriting. Way to go, Bear. On the spot. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. That's pretty interesting there. Now, going into development, um, we're talking uh, Ron Clements and John Musker for directors. We got to meet them. Yay! Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. We took a picture with them, and we met them at Destination D. We didn't really get to talk to them very long, but uh, it was pretty neat. Holy shnikes. I know. Except for I had a stupid moment. I was like, hey, you know, uh, good luck on Frozen. And then in my mind, I was like, no. No, they're not working on Frozen. Why did I just say oh, that? No! <laughs> and he was like, uh, no, no, we're not on you Frozen. You should have just gone no. home. <laughs> he, he was like, no, we're on something super secret. I'm like, yes, of course you are. I, I know that. I, I just, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> okay, so did you read these people's name tags and recognize them, or do you recognize their faces? From their faces. Oh my gosh, you're nuts. The reason I recognize their faces, one, they just did a panel right before, and yeah. two, oh, okay. I've watched the making of Aladdin multiple times, and three, they actually have a cameo in Aladdin. They are those two guys that when um, Prince Ahmed is walking up, and one of them says, on his way to the palace, I suppose, and the other one says, another suitor for the princess. Those two ah. guys are the directors. <laughs> So, oh, I knew there was something. I know they were focusing a little too much on those two guys. <laughs> Originally, they were supposed uh, to be Siskel and Ebert, the film critics, but they couldn't get permission, so they're like, "Eh, just throw the directors in there." And I thought it was pretty cool, a little uh, insider knowledge. Right I, there. I love, I love director and or nine old men cameos. Yes, yes. Who's a big metal man? <laughs> freaking Ach- or, freaking there's, Ahmed! There's I want to know who voice that guy because. <laughs> Only your fleas will mourn you. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm not worthless. I don't have fleas. <laughs> he scratches his head. I know. I wish they just would have added like a little, like a couple fleas, like bouncing away at that moment. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been funny. Poor Aladdin. He has fleas. I bet he only has fleas because he hangs out with Abu. Yes. You know yes. what does Aladdin? What does Aladdin owe Abu? He owe him. Yeah. What do you mean owe him? Well, I mean he's always hanging out with him. He's always sharing his food with him. It's his friend. They're like buddy buddies. 
That's that's why we have like our pets, you know, like in Anastasia, it was a dog. And, you know, for all of us, we have a pet and Aladdin has his monkey. Yeah. To me, those, uh, those, pet, those pet sidekick characters are a little expendable, but yeah, but, so, but not Abu. Abu is very good sidekick character. I he believe is. in this movie. He's okay. Anyway. Uh, going back to the development there, uh, the animation is really interesting in this film. I think it's awesome. Uh, for one, was this the first Disney film to use CGI? No, the first Disney film to use CGI, our animated film, was The Great Mouse Detective, where you, the clock scene, the clock where Basil and Radigan are fighting at the very end, that is a uh, 3D. Yes. But this is the very first animated character. Ah, uh, and that is the, well, the Cave of Wonders and the Magic Carpet, correct? Uh, no, just the Cave of Wonders. The the magic carpet he's drawn by hand, and then they they kind of mapped the texture onto him. Holy shnikes, that's pretty good. Yeah. Wow, they had me fooled. <laughs> uh, now there's some notable animation here. I'm going to compare Aladdin to Mulan here because I both I think both films are like very large and dare I say epic in scale. Uh, Pre Mulan, huge crowds. You know they hand draw they when um, they push Aladdin in front of the big crowd to be like they ought to be married. You know, <laughs> and there's that huge crowd, and then they zoom out and it's just a bunch of dots. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love I love that. And then during A Whole New World, um, they fly by a bunch of uh, herd of horses, and that's all hand-drawn. It's not a CG program like they used for the Huns' charge down the mountain oh, in Mulan. Impressive. Hmm. Yeah, very impressive. But yeah, that's, that's just a couple things that I noticed. When I first saw this film, I really liked it because it was like fun and the music was really cool. But I still didn't like pay attention to much until the genie showed up. Yeah, that is the moment when like everything changes. What I love about the genie is that he's like a very transcendent character. He's magical. He can do essentially whatever he wants, apparently, except for free himself. He can do anything else. And with that, apparently comes time travel. Some uh, he must have hopped in a time vortex because he references <laughs> time these, vortex these characters from you know the mid fifties, thirties, forties, you know the twentieth century, and, right. and then throws them back at Aladdin and all the other characters' faces, and then they completely react <laughs> with deaf ears. It's like meh. Okay, he just did some weird impersonation or weird. I don't even know if they'd call it an impersonation. But yeah, he just did some weird impersonation. No big deal. Like, you know, it just completely just kind of goes over their head. They don't even react. He's more just for us to react. Yeah. The only reason that in all of these jokes and all of these modern day references work, I think, is just because he is a genie, which really just kind of throws it all together. Like, he can really do no wrong. He can just say whatever he wants, and he can be good with it. I know, he does so much. And not only does he do that, but um, a couple things I noticed watching this time was that there are quite a few cameos by other Disney characters in the film. Do you guys know all the um, all cameos of other... Okay, Pinocchio, but these are just things for our viewers to watch out for, you know. you got to make it fun and don't tell them when, when they're at. <laughs> um, the next one is... Who does he turn into? There's the goofy hat at the end. yeah. You can also see Beauty and the Beast, or at least the Beast, in one scene. Yeah, and then uh, Sebastian, also the genie. Um, during yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, doesn't he turn into there. Jafar? Yeah, but that's the same movie. I so. work for Senior Psycho Bad now. <laughs> <laughs> he still turns into a Disney character. You know, I saw on IMDb, I haven't looked at it yet, but apparently when Raja is jumping back into the arms of the Sultan, when he's growing at the very end... For one frame, he has the head of Mickey Mouse. Ah, uh, yes. And that, 
And that's one that our viewers should look out for because it's really cool. I actually paused my VHS copy of it. Yeah. And I did frame by frame by frame and I saw it. Really? It's like the shape of his head turns into Mickey Mouse's head. It's not like full on like it's Mickey Mouse. Oh, yeah. It's like Raja with the shape of Mickey Mouse's head. Isn't that weird? That is awesome. That's hilarious. (laughs) Somebody just having fun with that one. (laughs) Okay. Did anyone else notice that Jim Cummings did some voice acting in this film? Yes, I did. I I, have your hands for a trophy street rat. Yes, he's also the voice of Pete, so he I, he has a very distinctive voice in my mind, so I can spot him. Oh, yes, I knew he, he played Raul, the main lead guard for the palace. Yeah, the lead guard. He's got a sword. You idiots, we've all got swords. <laughs> There's so many great point. quotes. <laughs> There's so many amazing quotes in this. I think that's one of the things that makes this movie so incredibly memorable. Every single scene has either a great quote or a great gag. Mm-hmm. And there's just no throwaway scenes throughout the entire movie, which is very hard to come by these days. Yeah, totally. Man, I freaking love Aladdin. Like, it's like there's some annoying characters that I don't like, like I don't like in every Disney film because I'm that critical. But just like the scope and the whole spectacle and display of this movie, it's just pure Disney. I don't have any other way to describe it, really. Because you've got the songs and you've got all these cool animations and you got all these cool effects and the drama and the excitement. Not to mention some awesome characters that have grinded their way into Disney immortality. Like, you can mm-hmm. never forget these characters. Yeah. Okay, number one is Jafar, voiced by Jonathan Freeman. This guy is an amazing villain, and he's, like, almost like half of why Aladdin is so great. Uh, Jafar is rated number two on the top Disney villains list. Uh, number three was Scar, FYI, and number one was Maleficent, which is still a mystery mm-hmm. to me. But I think he's just the coolest guy. I think he's like the quintessential and the ultimate Disney villain. Yeah, what I love about Jafar is that he's very opposite of what we talked about in Anastasia, Rasputin. You know, Jafar oh, is Jafar is serious, he's mean, and he's cruel. And he there's no joke about him. He's not a gag villain. I mean, the one part where he turns into the, the old man with the teeth... but other than that i mean he is vile and he does not apologize for that being that way that's just how he is and he wants to achieve it and you know he does some really horrible rotten things there are some funny moments when uh when princess jasmine walks in and she's like look at you standing here deciding my future I'm oh, not yeah. a prize oh, to be won. And they're all like during that part, they're all awkwardly like looking around. Like that's kind of a funny <laughs> moment. But for the most part, he's just a mean guy. Yeah. Well, did you know that at first Jafar was, he was the more hot tempered while Iago was that cool, that haughty British type, you know, uh-huh. but the filmmakers, they thought that having Jafar losing his temper all that much would make him less menacing. Sure. And so the personalities got switched. So like you were saying, you know, it basically the total opposite of Rasputin. That was the problem with that, with that movie is that Rasputin was the gag character and not the psychic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. totally. So if they would have had their original plans, would have Guilford Godfrey voiced Jafar? <laughs> oh. oh man. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> no, I, I freaking love Jafar. Like Morgan talked about that Jasmine scene where, where they're like standing around awkwardly, not making eye contact. Like he's dramatic and he's got that evil laugh, and his <laughs> voice <laughs> has so <laughs> many inflections and stuff. Yeah. Um, but he's got some comedy here and there, kind of like Ursula. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's just like you've got this totally outrageous villain who just loves himself. <laughs> and the you know the mark of a great villain is by the number of puns they think they can get away with, uh, you know, <laughs> during during the reign of power towards the climax of the film. Your time is up, princess. Things are unraveling quickly. It's like, oh. <laughs> uh, a snake am I? Well, let's snake just see like how I can... snake like I can be. Oh my gosh, Jafar as a snake is awesome, dude. Scared the crap out of me. Oh, yes. He, he's definitely your, your sorcerer transformation character. He does a lot of costume changes, a lot of transformations in the last half of the film. <laughs> I, I still don't know how he pulls off the old man disguise. Yeah, uh, I also, you just realize that he has really tiny legs. <laughs> something I noticed about his animation also is that he doesn't have an eye glint. He doesn't have that little spark of light in his eyes. And I think that makes him even more, like, evil. Mm. Uh, there are actually a lot of Disney characters that don't have that, which I was surprised about. Like, the majority of the characters in Hunchback of Notre Dame don't have it, even the even the good people. Well, even I remember hearing an interview with Don Bluth, how they were just talking about how they just stopped doing that in some of the films, just because it was getting, like, too expensive to, like, be that thorough. But it was cool. When we were at, at Destination D, he had Andres Deja come up, and he, he taught us how to draw Jafar. Oh, sweet. It was so fun. <laughs> you ever notice how that guy's lips are like three feet away from his nose? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, he was just talking about how before him he had to do, he did Gaston. He's like, oh, I was so mad that I had to do him because on the one hand he was the villain, but at the same time I had to make him like good looking. So I couldn't do much with it. But then when I got Jafar, I was like, yes. Now I can just make him evil to my heart's content. (laughs) And Uh so you're just showing us how he drew everything. But you can also see he actually got his ideas for the design of Jafar from Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty. Mark Davis was the one who drew Sleeping Beauty, who was like, it's just a beautiful. I love I love that movie. But really, if you look at there's a lot of different similarities that they have, like they both carry a staff. And they both use, like, evil magic. They both have a bird. Well, Maleficent is a raven. Jafar's is a parrot, you know, but still. Both birds. <laughs> They're both birds. And, uh, oh, and they they both turn themselves into these huge animals. I, I thought it was really cool. I was like, hey, there's a lot of similarities here, too. So, Morgan, you didn't like Gilford Gottfried in the movie? No, I like Gilford Gottfried. Like, he's really, really annoying. At times, his voice, he's just yelling all the time, but he totally works for this role. I i do appreciate that Gilbert Gottfried did do uh, Iago because Iago's a great character. It's funny, I always wonder, really, would a person like Jafar put up with someone like Iago? Like, would they really be friends or would he already have skewered and cooked him by now? Um, I don't know, they kind of work. It's kind of, you know, you got the serious one and the funny one, but they're both pretty evil. Yeah, you never really find out, like, why, how, why do these villains have these really great, you know, these zany sidekicks? Like, how they. Well, they gotta be with someone, I guess. It just doesn't seem realistic to me. Oh, realistic? It's a Disney film, Oreo. <laughs> yeah. I, I will have power to be rid of you. Oh, please. We're <laughs> gonna love him. I'm out in the menagerie. Hurry. <laughs> I love that scene. And then after you got the other birds. Like, <laughs> you got a problem, Pinky. Actually, <laughs> for that scene, Gilbert Gottfried did do the impersonation of Jasmine. That wasn't, what? that wasn't Jasmine doing it. It was him doing the impersonation. So that is like total props to him. Yeah, that was I remember, good. I remember watching that on like the DVD and being like, dang. 
Holy crap. That's good, man. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, going back to Jafar, um, this guy's super popular in the, in the Disney villain pantheon. I mean, look on his Wikipedia article, and it's pretty extensive. <laughs> um, oh, I love whatever Wikipedia gets brought up. Yeah. Dude, Wikipedia, man. We're going to have to do like a Disney villains pop rotoscopers countdown or something like that. We'll do that. We can do that. Yeah, totally. So Disney's House of Mouse, that cartoon series, I thought it was a cool concept. I just don't think the animation was very good. It was just kind of cheap and kind of flash animation-ish. And one of those episodes, Jafar is seen at a table with Maleficent. Now, the rumor is they were on a date and the fan base got all excited. So they were a great match. May or not, may not be true, folks. Go check the tabloids for that if you want to subscribe to that. But, um, Jafar was also also played a pretty big role in the, uh, the movie of House of Mouse called House of Villains, uh, where the villains take over Mickey's, you know, nightclub entertainment. That's right. Portico. Now, here's a little a cameo that I didn't even know about. There's a PlayStation game called Aladdin in Nasir's Revenge. Now, you may be wondering who Nasir is. I am, well, yes. Well, for those who did Wikipedia, Wikipedia research, uh, Nasir is Jafar's sister, who in this PlayStation game kidnaps Jasmine and attempts to sacrifice her to resurrect Jafar. Was that in the show? <laughs> there, I don't even think she was in the show. I think she was just in this game. Oh, jeez. They're like, we need more women. Throw a sister in there. I know, right? And then, of course, Jafar is seen all over the place in the Kingdom Hearts series. Any last words on Jafar? No. Except for that today's featured Wikipedia article happens to be Jafar. It's meant oh, to be. Really? Be. Yeah. Oh, crap. Awesome. Classy. So, okay, so let's move on from, you know, the, the big bad bad guy to one of the good guys, the genie, who was voiced by Robin Williams. Yeah. Um just I mean, so many good things. I don't I think he steals the show on this. I'm I believe agree so. to disagree, maybe not. He does. Even though he's such a high profile voice actor, I mean I think the genie is the ultimate minor character in any Dis- Disney film. Move over, Abu, seriously. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Aladdin has never had a friend like the genie. <laughs> so what does that say about Abu? Oh, you just got pushed <laughs> out, dude. Snap. <laughs> yeah, so an interesting thing about the genie is that he also voiced the merchant peddler at the beginning. The, ah, yeah. salam and good evening, worthy friends. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Um who definitely, you know, shows off his bizarre and the funky things that he's selling and which is kind of interesting because he definitely shows his side, um, his comedic genius in that role. But well, I guess the only problem this about the merchant that I had originally the merchant was supposed to come back throughout the story and tell the story, but then they found out that he kind of ruins the mood and ruined the momentum by going back to the peddler. And so it just I don't know, I always thought it was kind of weird that like there's this peddler, he introduces it and voila, we just go to the story. We never go back to the peddler again. It doesn't, did any of that bother you at all? You know, it did, but at the same time, like, I liked it a lot how at the end of the third one, he comes back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I liked the merchant because he kind of, like, got the crowd warmed up. Because it's like, at first he's like this, I am a harmless merchant, and then come closer, and not that close. You know, it's like all of a sudden these, like, wacky comedy things start happening, so it gets the audience warmed up. And then he also... He also does a great job of introducing the lamp, the iconic object of the film, and also introducing the main theme of the film, which is, uh, you know, do not be fooled by its commonplace appearance. (laughs) Uh, It's not on the outside, but on the inside that matters. Oh, yeah. And he's like... Do you know what's interesting 
if you look at it, they actually planned that the genie would somehow turn into the merchant at the end. And just to kind of like, hey, guess what? It was him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. look, he is the only human character with four fingers. There you go. Oh. So there you go. And, he, and he's still voiced by Robin Williams. Yeah. And that whole thing was totally unscripted, too. They brought Robin Williams into the soundstage, and he was asked to stand behind a table that had several objects under this, like, bed sheet. And the animator's like, okay, lift it up, and without looking at the object, just describe it in character. And so, like, that's where all of this stuff comes from. He's like, and this is that. Oh, and this is the Julian Prize. Oh, he's so genius. I know. Yeah, dude, he is so talented. Oh. He can do stuff like that. Amazing. Yeah, I, I remember watching King of Thieves, uh, the third Aladdin film, and feeling very satisfied uh, when the movie wrapped up with the merchant finishing off with Arabian Nights. Um, like, I thought it was cool. I didn't. I still didn't know it was the genie. <laughs> yeah, they definitely bookend that series very well. It's an awesome movie, then not so awesome. Definitely, we try to forget about it. And then a decent uh, closer. Yeah, totally. So what are your favorite genie moments slash quotes? Let's just get them out there. Uh, Favorite genie moments. Let's see. Great. Now I'm on the spot. Um, I love that whole part where he's, all right, Sparky, here's the deal. You know, <laughs> he turns into Jack Nicholson. And then he he just turns into, like, thing after thing after thing. And it's that. Well, actually, one of my favorite parts is when... Um, they fly out of the Cave of Wonders. And it's like, thank you for choosing Magic Carpet for all your travel needs. Don't stand until the rug has come to a complete stop. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, how about that, Mr. Dowdy Mustafa? <laughs> I love that quote. That's one of my favorites. I quote that one all the time. Oh, my gosh. Like, when he first starts, when he first busts out of the lamp and he just starts going on, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, this movie has just become incredible. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, to- totally overwhelming Aladdin, you know, <laughs> genie of the lamp, you know, and Aladdin's just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it because he's he's clearly a comedian. He loves to joke around. He's been stuck in this lamp. 10,000 years! And, uh, you know, it's like, seriously, like he's a comedian walking on stage and just, you know, give, doing his best stuff. It's like, I've been planning this one for 10,000 <laughs> years! Dude, seriously. You know what's so great about this film is that the genie is amazing, but you also feel for him when he starts going into his, like, oh, to be free, you know? And it makes the yeah, ending totally. all the more special. Like, we're totally cheering for the genie when he's free at the end. Yeah. Because that's just, that's just his personality. Like, he's, you know, he's free-flowing. and Very um, Yeah, I like how they do that because we, like, totally love the genie. Like, yes. we love him. He's not just, like, a source of cheap laughs for us. <laughs> yeah. Because they did a really good job of adding that, that human element in there. You want to root for him. Like, he himself has his own problems. And it's like, you, you just, you make me laugh. And I want you to be happy, too. <laughs> Yeah, this movie's kind of like a knight's tale, and the genie's like the Joffrey Chaucer of this film, because he, like, totally supports Aladdin. He takes a liking to him instantly, you know? Yeah. And then it becomes even more special between them, you know, I guess, for the end of the film. But yeah, man, I totally love this character, and I think him combined with Jafar make the strongest presence in this film, and it's just so well done that it, it practically makes the film these two characters. Yeah, one of the things I love about the genie is that he is kind of the source of truth, and uh, like kind of the, not like a Jimmy Cricket conscience, but he does try to lead Aladdin in the right way. You know, Aladdin has his fun. He has his wishes. And then Jeannie says, hey, this is what you need to do. Tell her 
the truth. And then Aladdin just disregards him and doesn't listen to him. And and so Genie really is this heartfelt source of, of ethical truth that Aladdin is prideful and ignores and, and realizes, no, I can't do that because things will go wrong. On top of all those things that you just said, you know, the comedic element and we love him i mean he is kind of this guiding light to aladdin yeah you know he really is especially when he when he points to jasmine at the end he's like dude go on like you don't meet a girl like this every million years believe me i've looked Mm -hmm. so it's like this guy knows you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) ultimate (laughs) cosmic power he has been around for quite some time eternity of service isn't that bad What I didn't understand is at that point, why didn't they just, like, pass the lamp around to everyone? Let everybody get their (laughs) wishes out of the way, and then let them go. I know, because it went went to Jafar. He's like, sorry, I got a new master now, you know? I always thought that when I was little. I was like, wait, like, let other people get some wishes out of this. Yeah. Increase your life, you know, and your... (laughs) (laughs) That was just being my very pragmatic, if nothing else. (laughs) You know, I never thought about that until this time that I watched it, because I'm like, okay, so Jafar stole the lamp, so now he gets to be the master, even though Aladdin's wishes aren't all fulfilled yet? It's whoever has the lamp. Oh, shoot. I'm saying, just pass it around, and it'll be done. Do you guys think that this movie would be as cool as it is without the music? Dude, Uh, definitely not. These are some of the best Disney tunes ever. Totally agree. It has the best all-around collection of songs. Not just like, oh, this one's really good, but, I mean, this is Disney was really in their stride during this time. One, because they still had Howard Ashman along, and, uh, oh, this is some of the best Disney music all around. Basically, Howard Ashman, I think he was the main catalyst for the Disney renaissance. That's my humble opinion, but I think it was. He and and Alan Menken together just were the amazing team. Yeah, so Howard Ashman, he died in the middle of production. So they had to bring in Tim Rice, who is famous for The Lion King, to go and and to finish the lyrics. But a lot of these songs completely have Howard Ashman's mark all over them. You know, Friend Like Me, One Jump, especially even like Prince Ali. Howard Ashman loved these just, like, fast, funny liners. So you think in Little Mermaid. Yeah, it's all, it's all about rhythm. Yeah. In Little Mermaid, there's a part where in Under the Sea, where it's the black fish she sings, the dead, 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 <laughs> you know, like how he just keeps going from fish to fish to fish. You know, in Prince of Lee, in the very end, he's like, with 60 elephants, llamas, wait, how does that part go? 60 elephants, llamas galore, with what? bears and lions, a breath band and bark, 40 fakers, his cooks, his bakers, his birds are raw, long key. Make way. <laughs> yeah, he just loved those runs that just had like funny bits in the middle of them. And so I, I appreciate him because only he could do it in the way that he did. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a lot of like fast paced rhythm that I really love. I cannot even imagine how challenging slash fun it was to animate the genie singing. Because <laughs> I mean, he goes all over the place in that song. Yeah. Like me, yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny when they did their test screening for this movie, nobody applauded after the big song of A Friend Like Me. And so the animators were like, I dang it, I wanted the applause. And so somebody went in and, and stuck Genie with the applause sign at the very end. And it just <laughs> 
the joke just worked and fit, and so it kept it for the film. And they're like, yes, we got our actual applause. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man, I love it. So um, in this movie, they actually, like, production, it, it was going a completely different way. Originally, Aladdin had a mom. He wasn't an orphan. He had, like, a gang of buddies that he was with, and uh, he was actually a lot younger than, than originally. So there's a lot of deleted songs that obviously got cut as they changed things away. One of the most famous is Proud of Your Boy. And this is a song that Aladdin, not necessarily singing to his mother. Um, wait, did, did Aladdin's mom die in this pre-version? It, no, she was around. Yeah, and he, he was singing this song saying, you'll be proud of your boy. I want you to be proud of proud of your boy. And uh, you can see that on some of the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray and the DVDs. That's one of the ones that they've released but there are also some other ones one called call me a princess who do you think sung that jafar it's not a yaga. <laughs> um, and another one why me another song called Babkick omar aladdin kasim obviously that was him and his four gang of friends i imagine that was replaced with one jump um Probably. a song called humiliate the boy which was sung by jafar because it was considered way too cruel for the film and we actually oh, kind of the bummer about this is the guy who played Jafar is this incredible Broadway singer. And so they really wanted an awesome villain song for him. Um, he had one in Return of Jafar. Yeah. I don't know. Was that the same guy? I don't know. But so they did do the Prince Ali reprise where Jafar sings, which I must oh, say is right. one of my favorite songs in the movie is when Jafar sings. Anyways, there was another song called High Adventure and another song called Count on Me. And this was something that Aladdin sung to his friends on uh, and family, and eventually it was changed to a whole new world. So, lots of songs that were cut and changed. I'm happy with the final result. Keep it the way it is. Yeah, me too. But what's interesting is they actually are putting Proud of Your Boy into the musical that they're putting on Broadway. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Uh, Alan Menken said that when he was at D23, Destination D, I found one video. <laughs> and it's only like three minutes oh, long. And I was like, oh. I, I but, have uh, what, Lou Mangello sending us the audio, so we'll be able to Ooh, sweet. Yeah. That's that's just as good, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, so he does mention that. He's like, the proud of your boy is going to be in the Broadway play. Cool. I think they could change the words a little bit in a way so they don't actually have to like say that the mom is there, obviously, because the mom's not. But yeah. um, like you said, it just works out a whole lot better. And one last thing, a little you know juicy tidbit, is the opening song, Arabian Nights, was censored because of political sensitivity. The original <laughs> lyric, it says... Are you going to sing it, Chelsea? Where they cut off their ear if they don't like your face. It's about a bag, but hey, it's home. So that was considered, you know, not very cool for them to say. <laughs> so there were okay, lots of... Okay, but, like, the dude was going to cut off Jasmine's arm. I they know. I, I think it was a fine lyric, whatever. I thought but, it was uh, fine. Uh, there were lots of yeah, protests by great. the American... Disney's never shied away from, from stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there were lots of protests by the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, so they really put a lot uh, of uh, heat on that. A-A-A-D-C. <laughs> and so they changed the new line in subsequent releases and on the new soundtrack, new DVD. It's where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. You know, I don't like that one as much. Yeah. Luckily, I still have the original version on my iPod and that's the way it's going to stay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> is it true that Entertainment Weekly used to suggest Aladdin as in the top 25 most controversial films? Yeah. That well, is the dumbest suggestion I've ever heard. <laughs> what? Okay, there are plenty more controversial films. Aladdin, yeah. I mean, what? Other than that one line, what's so controversial? Well, I guess, okay, so one of the things about Aladdin that was considered so controversial is that Aladdin and Jasmine, even though this is an Arabian film, 
they have very European designs. So, I mean, Aladdin doesn't look like how someone from that area should. He very much looks very Western in a way. Yeah. So that was one of, I guess, one of the reasons that they very uh, Europeanized it. Um, another controversial thing is they stole a lot of plot elements from The Thief and the Cobbler. There are actually a lot of animators who worked on that film prior to coming to Aladdin. And so that was a big fuss that people put. And then last but not least, this is probably the most famous controversial bit, was the old take off your clothes bit. Ah, I don't believe that. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I didn't really hear anything. They. I even went on to this YouTube video that spaced it out and like showed you. But I mean, I don't. I don't know if I believe that. What he like? What I've heard and what I personally believe, he doesn't say. Good teenagers, take off your clothes. First off, that would never fly in a recording session. Right. Yeah. First of all, never. yeah, that would never fly. Like, why would they be so dumb as to and include that, has that nothing in the movie to do with on anything. purpose? And what he says is, "Good kitty." Take off and go. Do you ever remember, like, people be like, oh, put in your Aladdin videotape, and they, you know, then you turn up your sound, you get really close to it, and you have to rewind it again <laughs> you know, and again. I can hear something in there, though. It's like, it's brief and subtle, but I, I guess I'm also kind of trying to impose that thought into it, maybe, just because I've heard that. Yeah. I, I'm not a believer. I believe in the purity of Disney. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd like to kind of to talk about this film in the three-act structure, because that's what Aladdin is. It's your Western three-act story structure in the style of a musical, like I explained. Oh, and you got to love that classic uh, Walt Disney Pictures intro, you know? Oh, you know yes. what I'm about? Yes. Ready for it? Ready for it? Oh. It's like, You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, I know that one. At Destination D, they had special uh, club member only T-shirts. That was they were blue T-shirts with that original logo on them. Oh, really? really? I wanted one so badly, but they sold out the first day, and we got there. Well, no, the pre-day. You know, you could register the day before. We got there the day of, and they were already all gone. So, oh um, no! I would have bought one. I would have bought two. Dude, I love it. Uh, I like how the film starts. It's like this really exciting introduction, and then we go right into this mysterious villain who is, you know, this dark man in a dark night for a dark purpose, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so we're introduced to the main characters. The first one is Aladdin. I don't really have, like, a huge opinion on Aladdin. He's just kind of there. I mean, he's kind of funny. You know, he's got the character flaw that all the, you know, that the Disney protagonist needs and stuff. I believe that Aladdin is one of the best Disney guys. I agree. Um, he's good looking. He's athletic. What? He's kind of, he's very charming in a way. You, a Enduring. lot of girls will agree with you on this. Aladdin is one of the best. Okay. Where does Tarzan fall in your, in oh, your the problem top, with Tarzan is list. that he's, he was raised he's, by apes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I can't go for a guy like he that. He just doesn't have he like the smooth nice. sex appeal. Give the boy a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I, feel like Aladdin is just, is so much more endearing. He's more relatable. Yeah. It's true. So actually, an interesting thing about Aladdin in this, you know, original script that they had to redo, uh, he was actually a younger character. And then when they placed him next to Princess Jasmine, because her character design was fine, uh, he looked almost too young. Like, oh, this is kind of creepy that they would be interested oh, yeah. in each other. Next next to the standard, <laughs> yeah, next to the standard 15-year-old Disney princess. Yeah, totally. Know. I mean, so that puts him at 12 and she's 15. This is very, this is Queen <laughs> Amidala territory, okay? <laughs> so, um, 
it's actually interesting because they had already animated a few scenes and then they decided, oh, this isn't going to work. We got to change them. So um, they changed the design, but they were already so far along in the production process that some of those scenes are still in the movie of the younger Aladdin. And typically they're shots where he's further back. He's far away, like at a distance. So he's not that uh, up close and personal anyway. Mainly in the song, A Friend Like Me is where you can see this the most. This was the very first scene that they animated. And so they'd already put so much time and effort into this. They only changed the scenes where he was up close. But if you look frequently in this scene, it's like every other shot, there's just a younger version of Aladdin. And it's actually really distracting once you watch it because he does look like a little boy compared to the new improved, you know, Aladdin out there. So that's kind of an interesting thing to look for. It'll kind of ruin Aladdin for you, but it's still kind of... (laughs) You just ruined it all. One other funny thing, um, Brad Kane was Aladdin's singing voice. And originally he was going to do the speaking voice as well, but but then the role was finally given to Scott Wagner. Um, I got to say, I love Scott Wagner's voice. He's awesome. He was uh, Steve on Full House. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> anyway. Lame. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go to the next character who we're introduced is Jasmine, our <laughs> lovely princess. She's voiced by Linda Larkin. I remember loving her so much. When I was in the first grade, I even like tied my hair in multiple little rubber bands so it would have like that that bulgingness down because I had really long hair and I was really wanting it to look like hair. But obviously it wasn't nearly as good and I was very sad. No, I mean, but remember those earrings? Those were sweet. Yeah, Jasmine had great fashion sense. (laughs) Yeah, but she didn't have the sense to take them off in the marketplace. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not the princess. I'm just an ordinary girl with solid gold earrings that weigh five pounds each. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and her headpiece, too. Yeah, true. Yeah, you're not going to see that. (laughs) Only royalty wears this, and I just happen to be wearing one. Coincidence. Purely coincidence. I guess so. And yeah, and then she meets up with Aladdin, and it's like, here we go with the classic Disney romance that fully blooms after about five minutes. And then they almost kiss, you know? It's like, it's like, dude, <laughs> Aladdin's kind of dumb if he doesn't think that Jasmine won't fall in love with him again as the thief. It's like, no, I have to be a prince. But it's like, okay, you're going through all this trouble just to get her to like you as a prince when as a street rat, she liked you after like two seconds. Totally. It's true. She was, she was all over you. It's true. Okay. I'm glad that the the almost kiss isn't the only almost ki- well is, it doesn't end there because the real kiss I think is the best kiss in yeah. Disney fandom or yeah, right. Disney yeah. it's, drawn, it's drawn just like every other Disney kiss oh no that is a no. very hot kiss <laughs> <laughs> it is what about John Smith and Pocahontas they had some steam going yeah well, but- this they didn't have magic carpet pushing them in yeah yeah, Great yeah. added moment. Oh, jeez. Anyways, that's the girl point of view. Huh? <laughs> On to the sultan. A kiss? Oh, that sissy stuff. <laughs> yeah, we got the sultan. I like the sultan. I like his character design. It's very, like, circle-based. He's just kind of poofy. It reminded me of the char- what they did with the character designs for Up. It was all based on really basic geometrical shapes. And I just like how you can really see that arc motion, you know, when he moves his limbs and stuff. He's just very... Very, uh, not majestic, but he's just very stately, very kind of poofy and pompy and circle-based, you know. (laughs) Not very bright. Definitely not very bright. I'm an excellent judge of character. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where she gets it from. Her mother wasn't nearly so picky. (laughs) (laughs) I love those little uh, miniatures that he has. He has the miniature animals, and then he has this miniature, like, I don't know. 
thing of the city, and it's just great. I'm, he's so into his toys. I know, a full-scale model of Agrabah. Uh, not to mention his jewel collection, with Jif- which Jafar apparently needs. Like, what was up with that, uh, the mystic blue diamond part? Was I like, agree. I require it to find his suitor. That's kind of random. Like, Jafar's so powerful, why does he need a mystic blue diamond? Yeah, it just, you know, conveniently happens to be one that the royal family owns. Yeah. But it's well, And also, you realize, as you watch it, it only shows up, like, five seconds before he actually talks about it. Yeah, he was never wearing this ring up until that moment. Yeah, that's yeah. that's an interesting plot hole. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. it's maybe it just kind of a device to like show off how manipulative Jafar is. Yeah, yeah, the real reason for that scene is to to show us the um, snake hypnotizing, so we're familiar with it in the future. Yeah, because uh, yeah. then he tries to use it again uh, right before Prince Ali comes, and then again when Aladdin and Jasmine <laughs> are there, and Aladdin calls you, him out. I will marry Jasmine. You will, met, but no. you're so old. It's <laughs> fantastic. And then uh, another another character we get introduced to. Actually, we get uh, introduced to three characters that are voiced by the same person, Frank Welker, who is Raja Abu and the Cave of Wonders. <laughs> I thought he had a great character voice. You know, talking about you know voice actors, I I loved the fact that he. Did such a great job on these. Like, Raja is my favorite. Allah forbid you should have any daughters. And he turns to Raja and he's like, <laughs> But he's so. Yeah, seriously. He's got great little. He added life to so many different characters. I loved it. Yeah, I really like how they did the animals because a lot of, you know, they're animals that have personalities and have things to say in the film, but they don't talk. This is not a talking animal movie besides Iago. But they did a great uh, job of animating them and making them readable. So I appreciated that. Like Abu, for as annoying as he is, you can totally tell what what he's thinking and what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. Act number two. The action starts starts rising. You know, when Aladdin goes on this quest with the shady old man. Aladdin in the Cave of Wonders is like kind of the coolest part of the film for me. For one, the Cave of Wonders is like the freakiest dang cave I've ever seen. I would not go in there. I'm not your diamond in the rough. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Well, I mean, this lion tiger thing pops out of the sand. Like, you're really going to go into that? Jeez. I know, man. He's got his mouth open. Oh, man. But talk about a cave, man. There's got a lot, there's a, there's a lot of crap in there, man. It's got all this, like, Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian, like, solid gold idols and, like, piles of gold. And, yeah. Oh, they'll suffer gossip. And then we're, we're introduced to the magic carpet, who's, like, one of the coolest characters. Another character who's, like awesome animation because you can really read how he feels like in that first scene you know and the carpet is like shy and then he's like playful but then he's hurt because abu insults him and disses him he's like walking <laughs> off and he's like no no wait come back and he like comes back oh, me, you know now i've got a conundrum here with the magic carpet so the rule is to touch nothing but the lamp because you know what'll happen when he does um so aladdin totally touches the carpet so is the carpet not a treasure of the Cave of Wonders, or is he like a prisoner? I always wondered about that, too. I think he's a prisoner, because, I mean, I can, you know, conjure up in my mind, everything else is gold or some type of a jewel, and he's the only thing else living there. So, that's that's my guess. Right, because the genie, um, he talks to the car, he's an old buddy of his, you know? Right. And then, uh, totally unlike the, uh, the weird, freaky, monkey, genie, solid gold statue thingy, you know, that's holding the ruby? Yes. Infidels. <laughs> I love that part, dude. It's scary, man. Yeah. So was the was the ruby forbidden, or is all the treasure forbidden? All the treasure. 
Well, the whole thing is just a temptation. Right. You know, anybody that goes in there is just going to be walked through, and that's just the last ditch effort, last chance to tempt this person. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, so yeah, he meets the genie. He gets out of there, becomes a prince. Now, Al as Prince Ali. Uh, that's when you start like kind of. I started getting kind of annoyed with Aladdin because it's like, dude, come on, how far <laughs> are you going to bury yourself in your lies? You know, True. I like how the feather on his on his uh, prince hat keeps falling down whenever he tells a lie and he has to blow it back up. You know, yeah. Now I've got a, I got a question here. Did Jasmine know he was really Aladdin the whole time? Because I know she suspected him before they end up on that kind of that way out in China. How'd they do that? <laughs> um, but even after he lied again, it was like, oh, yes, to uh, escape the pressures of palace life. Do you think she knew after that and she was just waiting for him to tell her the truth? I think she has suspected and she kind of was starting to get on it, especially when he kind of revealed his uh, his tell, which is the Apple thing. And uh, then he talks her back into it. So then she's like, uh, not that strange. And then she doesn't think about it anymore. But um, I don't know. It's always kind of an ambiguous thing. Like, does she really know or doesn't she? Is she playing along with it? Well, and like, if he really is a prince, why in the world would he be in this marketplace? Wherever yeah, he's from. Her marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> you apparently have a lot more business than mine does. So we. Imp- yeah, that's funny. And then, yeah, and then after their, you know, their date, you know, they're all happy again. And the Sultan's like, oh, wonderful. You two will be wed at once. <laughs> Not like, yeah, you'll get married in like two more movies, pal. <laughs> Which kind of adds to my big theory here or my conspiracy theory here that um, Return to Jafar was actually like a dream and that it didn't really happen. Oh, yeah. Mason conspiracy theory of the night. Remember when we talked about the Disney sequels? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense. Like Aladdin is supposed to have one, but Jafar comes back. He's just randomly found in the desert by by some dude. Um, Aladdin's not in his princely clothes anymore. He's back in in a street rat garb, you know. And, uh, you know, Jasmine's back in her, you know, singles wear. (laughs) And uh, the genie is not voiced by the real person. Neither is the Sultan. So it's just nothing adds up. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think it's real. All right. All right. Well, how? Okay. My thing. I always like they led you to believe that Aladdin and Jasmine got married at the end because he's wearing a white thing and she's wearing some formal wear, you know, but it was a way to do a Disney wedding without full on doing the Disney wedding like they just did in, you know, Little Mermaid. So I was always under the impression they got married and living happily ever after. And then, you know, they bust out King of Thieves and uh, we're finally getting married. We're finally getting married. (laughs) My father is alive. <laughs> Lead Aladdin on his most dangerous journey. Yet. Show me the way. Follow the trail of the forty thieves. Your father is trapped within their world. Oh my gosh! I love that you can quote these movie trailers from the if VHS. Want, brought to life again by the one and only Robin Williams. It's a kinder, gentler genie. Look at this. Oh, that's amazing. This summer, don't miss the adventure. You don't stand a chance against the King of Thieves. So yeah, I mean, I can do the whole trailer because <laughs> I think I think the trailer is on. Um, is it on the Toy Story? Yeah, the Toy is, Story yeah. VHS previews. That's yeah. why I know it so well. Gotcha. Okay. Well, find out why Robin Williams wasn't on that the second one. Do you guys want to know why? Tell Ooh, me. do tell. Okay, all right, I will. Uh, so Robin Williams, when he did Aladdin, he was actually paid at union scale, which is actually the minimum legal pay that a studio can give an actor. But 
you know, he did have a couple of provisos, a couple of quid pro quos of his own. (laughs) The first was that they weren't allowed to use his voice for any of the merchandising. And also that the genie character could not take up more than 25% of the space on a poster, ad, billboard, or trailer. That makes absolutely no sense. I know, right? After they've animated this whole thing and they realize, oh, hey, guess who's the main real character, you know, that the funniest character throughout the whole movie is going to be the genie. So they kind of pushed it a little more than I'm sure 25%. And because of this, Robin Williams' wishes were not granted. (laughs) Um, He withdrew his support from Disney and the film. And what's funny is you can actually see in the art of Aladdin book, it never mentions his name. It only refers to him as the voice of the genie. So it's like, so he was, he would not let them use anything. And that's why he wasn't in Return of Jafar or, you know, the dream sequence as Mason likes to call it. That's Uh, right. And how, and that's why Dan Castellaneta said, woohoo, I get a new job. Um, Michael Eisner wanted to be able to get back on good terms with him because it was such a huge thing. Like people were freaked. I was freaked. You know, little seven-year-olds were freaked that Robin Williams was not the voice. And so he, like, apologized to him. And he even offered him an original Pablo Picasso painting to as kind of like a... Like a, like a severance gift? Like a peace offering, basically. But, you know, he was not buying that. And so he ended up not coming back to Disney until after the Disney chairman, Jeffrey Katzenberg, resigned. And Katzenberg was replaced by Joe Roth and Joe Roth went ahead and he like ended up giving a public apology and like promised to right all these wrongs. I'm assuming by writing a rather large check in the mail, but whatever it was like Robin Williams was like, okay, I'll come back and I'll do the genie again. And so that's why he comes back for Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Um, Yeah. Disney was really thrilled, but I'm sure Dan Castellaneta said, don't because they had already recorded a whole bunch of things with him and they're like no we're just gonna throw that out at least he probably already got paid for doing that work yeah i'm sure he did but yeah that's that's the story of return of jafar i was frightened that is nuts (laughs) now going into the third act of the film like the action is rising we're coming close to our climax you know aladdin hits his low point the quintessential low point in a disney film and, uh, you know, it's like curtains for him and blah, 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 blah. So here we go. We go into Jafar. He becomes Sultan. And then he gets done with that really quick. Like, he's like, okay, I don't want to be in these Sultan clothes anymore. I want to be the Sorcerer, you know? Uh, yes. And then, it, and then that's more of his, that's more of his, uh, that's more of his forte. Here, this is, this is my question. Um, do the clothes really make the man? <laughs> really, the only thing that changes whenever the genie makes somebody gives them a new title is he just like changes their wardrobe. So Aladdin, when he was made a prince, all he did was give him a new hat and, you know, a new pair of pants. And the same thing with Jafar. He just gets the other outfit. Like, what's the deal? Is that all he can do? It's just really good tailoring. <laughs> well, I guess the clothes are a symbol of the... You know, of your status or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Jafar gave those up pretty quickly, didn't he? True, true. You know, when Jafar, you know, when Jafar is like having his way as Sultan and ultimate sorcerer, the fact is, is that Jasmine is just way more hotter as Jafar's slave girl than, than whatever. It's just so true. She had no need to change back into her blue outfit. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the final, uh, of the film, you know, facing off against Jamar, Jamar, 
against uh, Jafar are are really uh, really cool, and I really love the way that Aladdin defeats him because it's not like Prince Philip throwing his sword into the dragon's stomach. You know, Aladdin's a lot more clever. I think it's cool because you know Al he stops pretending that he's his prince and that he just uses his old street rat smarts, you know, to to beat Jafar. And I like that. I like that too. <laughs> And then the film ends, you know? Have you ever watched till the very end of the credits? And the uh, genie is like, hey, you've been a lovely audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You still can't get enough of the genie, man. Uh, so they had huge success with merchandising here. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who played part in that. <laughs> uh, what did everybody have? Because I had the whole Cave of Wonders, and it had, like, falling rocks and everything. However, <laughs> it did not come with the Barbies, uh, but I ended up using the Happy Meal toys instead. Oh, that's funny. I definitely had the Aladdin and Jasmine Barbies along with lots of my friend. The Aladdin's head always fell off, but luckily <laughs> it was easier to put on than the normal Barbie's heads. It's so funny. You can tell anyone who had that Barbie because Aladdin's cape, would you'd always find him in their Barbie clothes or whatever. That was like a classic like guy that everyone had. <laughs> they <laughs> so, used him for everything. Yeah, it was good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my Aladdin memorabilia. That's awesome. I had the uh, you know sound effects storybook. On the right, there was a series of buttons and, and with pictures, and you pressed one, and it made a sound effect based on that. You know, yeah, it was like turn turn the page. You know, press the Agrabah button and turn the page. It's like, <laughs> you know, but I had that. I can't remember any other stuff they had that we had. I, I bet you anything that my little sisters had the Aladdin and Jasmine Barbies. I will take that bet. All right, so we tweeted our listeners. We asked them the question. Robin Williams has a lot of great lines, but what's your favorite genie quote? So Michelle or Michelle says, without a doubt, the line that still makes me laugh is stop her, stop her. You want me to sing her? <laughs> I like that one too. Uh, oh, I love it. My friend, Mayday, Mayday. <laughs> my friend, uh, Brandon Rust, he tweeted in the whole series, I'd go with his Mrs. Doubtfire lines in the third one, <laughs> but just the first one, one, him doing Jack Nicholson. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I love it. We had some other ones. Uh, our friend Natasha said she did the awesome quote. Oh, Al, I'm getting kind of fond of you, kid. But not that I want to pick up curtains or anything. <laughs> I love that quote. I know. Oh, and then uh, Kelsey Day uh, did this one. <laughs> Tonight, the part of Al will be played by a dark, tall, and sinister, ugly man. <laughs> oh, Shelby Copa said, Yo, rug man, haven't seen you in a few millennia. Give me some tassel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Can't believe it. Be beat by a rug. <laughs> Alyssa Roy, Oi, 10,000 years can give you such a crick in the neck. Hold on, oh, hold on here a second. Ah, <laughs> oh, the genie. What's not? Dude, you can't. Him? You can't quote the guy enough. There's just like countless awesome quotes from this guy. Every hey, word. if we really wanted to, we could have just instead of doing an analysis episode, we could have just had Mason, Morgan, and Chelsea just quote the entire movie <laughs> for reenacting all of Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Oh. Fantastic. So I give it five stars. That's my rating. Okay. Yeah, me too. I'm kind of I'm stuck between 4.5 and 5 uh, stars. Like, it still has annoying characters. As, I don't know. But I, I love it because it's just this like classic, 
awesome Disney film that everyone remembers. You think favorite Disney films? That's definitely going to be like in the top three of everyone's list. So I was debating between four and a half and five stars, but I will give it five stars. I think this movie transcends Whoa. time, even though it has a lot of kind of pop culture references, even though they're pop culture references from like 50 years before this movie was made. So I think that kind of makes it... um okay for your older audiences. I never got the jokes when I was younger, but I still loved it because he just does such a good job doing those impressions that it doesn't matter if I know who it is or not. It's still funny. I think there's a lot of really strong characters in here. Amazing songs. Obviously, it has great replay value for me. For that reason alone, it is my number one top Disney movie of all time. Five stars. Oh my gosh. Yay! Round of applause! Yay! Okay, we're awesome. not going to do a mailbag. We do not have time. Let's, no, we don't. We'll close it up. Thanks for listening to the Rotoscopers, you guys. Make sure to revisit us at our website, www.therotoscopers.com. You also can find us on Twitter, The Rotoscopers, on Tumblr, on Facebook, and Hypable.com. Also, don't forget, we are sponsored by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. You can get a free audiobook, our gift to you, absolutely free. You can go to audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers. You can pick anything out. Hey, um, this movie was based on the classic tale, A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. So if you want to learn, like, hey, what what's the story that Aladdin originated from? That'd be a great one to listen to. It's actually really long, so it's perfect to listen when you're on your way to school, when you're on the bus, when you're riding your bike, when you're working out i i use audible all the time me too so, kelsey does too and this is a true statement um <laughs> so for your free audiobook trial go to audibletrial.com backslash the rotoscopers also don't forget we have a donate button on the website you can just go you can donate any amount you know one dollar two dollar five dollar hundred dollars and that helps support the podcast as well so thank you guys so much we love you you love us we love animation and yes so Last words, everyone? You can look at us on our individual locations. <laughs> you can find me at facebook.com slash this is Chelsea Robson or at Twitter at Chelsea Robson. You can also find Morgan, Morgan Stradling on Twitter and Mason at thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. So thanks again for listening, everyone. This has been an awesome episode. I was super excited to do it. Um, until next time. We, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Thank you, thank you for your entertainment for, from the lamp. Thank you. You know, buddy or buddy. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <My> buddy. <laughs> like your dad. My name is not Buddy. <laughs> I've never met anyone who could do a good Marge voice. <laughs> well, That's now true. I'm definitely not going to do my Marge impression for you. <laughs> Come on, people, work with me. One night, me and my sister were watching scary movies at our house. And we had our friend Omar over, and uh, he didn't like the movie we watched, so he he made us watch Aladdin right afterwards to like balance it out. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing. My yeah. thing was muted. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> I know. I was like, anyone? Anyone? <clears throat> Your line is, "I'm going to free the genie anytime." <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a line. Chelsea has a line.
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was on mute. Dang it. I said it. Anyway. With the, and, like a necklace? A pretty necklace for a pretty lady. Fresh-ish. Oh, <laughs> Sugar dates. Sugar dates and beans. Sugar dates and pistachios. pistachios. <laughs> that is one of the best quotes.